Amen. Thank you, Ella. Such a great job leading us through this morning. <clears throat> great to see everybody. Such a large number in the room, which is great to see. Well done for joining us here. We're in a series in Romans, Romans 12, a small, small kind of passage of scripture. <clears throat> and um, we've been looking at this a little mini kind of series about community. And uh, today I get the opportunity to talk to you about rejoicing together and mourning together, weeping uh, together. So um, we're going to read a a passage of scripture. Um, We've read this every week, I think, for the last few weeks. Really good um, to just keep reading it. So Romans 12, uh, we're going to start verse 9, I think, is going to come up on the screen. I'll tell you what, why don't we we read this together? Shall we do that? Always interesting, but at least we're going to read from the same version, okay? So, here we go. Love, and I'll get out of the way, actually. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Wow. Actually, just doing that, I realize that's not a great experience for you guys watching it online at home, but I hope you joined with us in reading the scripture. <clears throat> Paul's um, unpacked already in, in Romans a huge amount of theological uh, weighty aspects about the gospel, about salvation and sin and Israel. And, and then he comes to this section of kind of pithy machine gun staccato things to be and to put into practice. And he's basically saying it's, it's fine to have all these doctrines and beliefs, but actually they don't stay as doctrines and beliefs. They, they work themselves out uh, in practice. And you put those things that you believe into action with those people around you as he talks to the church in Rome made up of a whole load of diverse people, Jews and Gentiles coming together, knitted together because of one thing in common, that's Jesus Christ and his transforming love for their lives. It's not dissimilar to why we're together here today. And these same things, particularly in this season, as you read that passage, isn't it just so appropriate for where we are now? Too, in terms of this whole thing that we've been walking through together, a pandemic and doing church and being community. And he's saying, we want, he's saying, I want, Paul wants in Rome, and I'm in exhorting us to the same thing. We want together a community of, of genuine love. And that's why I think he starts with, your love must be sincere. It underpins every other statement, every other thing that he's asking the church to do. It's underpinned by the love of God, which enables us to love one another. 
So today we're going to be talking about sharing in one another's joy and sharing in one another's grief. There's a similar passage in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 26. It says that if one part suffers, every part suffers. Talking about the body of Christ. If one part is honoured, then every part should rejoice with that part. And you know, the way God designed our bodies is a picture for the body of the church. You see, the, the way that we understand our own bodies and our lives together, the fact that our members of our body are dependent upon one another, the fact that you know, there's some parts that are unseen and some parts that are seen, there's some parts that are talked about and we mention and parts that we don't. But essentially, if one part hurts, the whole body feels that pain. And in the rejoicing and the elation, it can't just be contained to our smiling face. The whole body responds in that way. I wonder if I could illustrate this by, firstly, the pain aspect. Um, When I was a young boy, probably about, I don't know, seven or eight, I was taking my shoes off at the back door. And the way I used to do that was like this, pulling them off. I didn't used to use my hands. And I had my hand in the crack of the door, the back door. And my brother, I loved my brother, but at that moment, he opened the front door. And the gush of wind like a vortex came through the hallway and slammed the back door onto my fingers. Ow! My whole body was in excruciating pain. I looked, my eyes, there was blood. Ah! My body kind of shook with fear and with what's happening. And long story ensued. My dad rushed me to the hospital and uh, the top of my finger had come off (laughs) completely. The greatest thing about the story is that my dad had to go back home to collect the tip of my finger, which was still resting on the doormat. And now I'm left with an unequal finger. I'm going to camera two for those at home. This one should be longer. My whole body was involved in that experience. And I don't know about you, but last week I was watching football. And um, when England scored within like two minutes, Luke Shaw, I was watching so much joy. My legs thrust me off the sofa. I was jumping. I was shouting, yes, go on England, at the TV like an absolute lunatic. How much of my body was involved in that rejoicing, almost everything. As in our bodies, so in the church. Paul says, we though many are one body, we're connected. Jesus is the head. Not only do you belong to Christ, here's the tough bit, you, we, belong to one another. We belong to each other because Christ has united us through his sacrificial work on the cross. Do you know what? In this season, life alone is so hard. You know, no one, no one should have to rejoice in a success or a a glad thing that's happened to them alone. 
It's not much of a success. No one should have to carry a burden or a heartache on their own. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, he says, you load on things for people to take which they cannot bear and you, you don't lift a finger to help them. Friends, that's everything that Paul isn't saying here. That's the antithesis of what I'm exhorting us to be as a people together. So I'm going to take each of these in turn, mourn with those in mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm going to show you how Jesus, uh, a story for how Jesus came into contact with each of these aspects and we're going to see what we can learn together in order to put it into practice. So what are we talking about when we talk about mourning? We're talking about losses. I mean, life is full of them, isn't it? You know, (laughs) disappointments, discouragements, pain. Life can be a real pain. It can hurt. It can hurt. And we're called to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, we will fulfill something of of what God has for us. I want to take us to uh, a story in John 11. It's the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. I love this story. Lazarus was taken ill, and the two sisters sent word to Jesus, but he didn't come. Lazarus died. And two sisters are devastated. They are in mourning. They're weeping. They're called the professional mourners. That's what they did in that day. They had people who wept professionally to kind of enhance this whole sense of loss and of pain. The disciples with Jesus, Jesus got word that his friend Lazarus was dead. And Jesus stayed around a couple of days. It doesn't make any sense. And then two or three days later, he decided to go. Disciples thought he was crazy, that he'd missed the moment. But no, Jesus was um, making a moment, as he so often does in his own time. And he's met by Martha. Let me tell you about Martha. She's practical. She's intellectual. Um, She meets Jesus and she says to him straight off the bat, Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. What's the problem here? The problem is, is a distance from God, from Jesus. You see, where is God in our pain and brokenness when we need him most? How many of you have answered, asked that question? Where is our friend, Jesus, when we need him most? And it opens up a question of, does God really love me? Does he really care about my situation? And even if he does, has he got enough power to, to kind of change it, to do something about it? Jesus says to her, he says, your brother will rise. And she knows that. She says, I know he will rise at the end times. This is an intellectual conversation that Martha needs to understand and hear. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This was new. This was new theological information for Martha. And that was what she needed at that moment to comfort her in her loss, to know that her brother was going to raise, be raised again. And Jesus was the resurrection. What about Mary? 
Mary's a bit different. She loved people. She was a bit more emotional than Martha. Mary goes out to meet Jesus. She has the same question. If you had been here, he would not have died. She's weeping. What does Jesus do in this situation? Does he give her an intellectual, theological answer? No. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. (laughs) Why did he weep? He's the God of glory. He's the King of kings. He could have raised her. He knew what he was going to do. He wept because Mary was weeping. He wept because of the pain and anguish of sinful nature and man and that it ends in death. Jesus was moved with compassion. Mary needed to see Jesus' tears. Two different people, same situation, Jesus working out two different responses for their moment of mourning. We can learn so much from that, can't we? Can we learn from that? What can we learn? We can learn firstly that sometimes the pain of no one being near is worse than the pain itself. Did you hear that? Just sometimes the pain of where is anyone in my pain is worse than the pain that caused the pain in the first place. If I'm honest, I've had moments of that where I feel down and distraught and broken and I'm thinking, I don't know if anyone cares. But I know that God cares. And you know, sometimes, you know, I believe in prophetic words. I believe that God speaks to others in our congregation. But sometimes, just like Mary and Martha, we need to send word. They sent word to Jesus. He didn't come when they wanted, but he did come. And friends, let us be that people. Let's be not too proud, as you like, if you like, to, to send word to others so they can share in our mourning. God is near. We've heard that this morning. His promises are true. He will never leave you or forsake you if you're in that place today. But we want to be near too. You know, it's great that we know that God comforts us, but there's nothing like another human being with us in those moments. And just like Jesus, we can tailor our response to the need. You know, some people do need the truth. They just need to hear the Bible again spoken over them. Other people, here's a practical help here. You just don't need to say anything at all. Just weep with them. And share in their mourning together. Here's a picture of what this looks like in practice. Um, Sorry for some of you, it might be too soon to see that again. Isn't that an incredible picture of mourning with someone who is mourning? Saka, he's distraught. He's full of shame. He's full of disappointment. He's a broken man at that minute. 
with the weight of a nation upon his shoulders. And Mr. Southgate, <laughs> oh, I love it. Come on, son. Come on. It's all right. We're here together, and you will be stronger as a result of this. What an example of carrying one another's burdens. You know, Gareth Southgate was in that same position. You've heard the story. 1996, semi-finals, European Championships against Germany. Gareth missed his penalty. Terry Venables was the man who put his arm around him that day. What's the point? Here's the point. If you have been through something traumatic, if you have been through something that devastated you, you are so well equipped to mourn with others who are mourning, particularly with that same thing that has happened to you. When I saw that picture, I just felt the Spirit of God come on me for some of you. There's something happened way back then and God's going to use it today and tomorrow and the next day and forever for you to bring hope to others for your same situation. I don't know what the pain was, I can imagine. Or I can imagine. Whether it was abortion, whether it was abuse, I don't know what it was. But I know that God is redeeming you because that's what he does. And he's bringing you to a place where you are going to redeem and restore many others because you have a heart to mourn with those that are mourning. <laughs> Is that enough weeping? I don't know. Maybe we should get to rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the wins. We're talking about the promotions. We're talking about the successes. We're talking about the celebrations. We're talking about the new beginnings. It's birth, it's weddings, it's, it's life is so good because God is good and he wants us to be blessed. One part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Another story, Jesus in uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 10, 1 to 24, he's just sent out the 72. He sent out the disciples, the 12. He said, go and preach the good news, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. And then he sent, sent out 72 others. And the Bible says that the disciples, they returned with what? With joy. Why? Because even the spirits, they said to Jesus, submit to us in your name. They have come back ecstatic. They have had an incredible tour of duty. Actually, grace. Sharing the good news of Jesus wherever they went. They come back and in verse 21, it's almost shocking. We read this, it says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. It's one of the very few times in the Bible that we actually see and hear Jesus firsthand rejoicing. He was a man of sorrows, but he was also a man of joy. 
And we see him rejoicing in this moment. And once again, he keeps his rejoicing in perspective. He says to the disciples, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. (laughs) Wow. What a perspective. And he goes on to say, and I think the the translation is weak here, that, that Jesus is like overflowing with joy. He is, I think he's jumping up and down. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but if you overflow with joy, there's more than just a wry smile. Overjoyed, thrilled. The disciples are so excited. Jesus is so excited. He enters in to their joy. And then he goes on to say, this, he says, I thank God. He turns to his father and he says, I thank God that, that, Father, you have revealed these things, not to the wise and to the learned, but to the little ones and the children. <laughs> There's this revelation of the good news where people will be born again from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light as they preach the good news of Jesus. And this is, this is one commentator said, it's like eschatological joy. It's a joy that is more than just temporary. It's the same joy I believe that Jesus had when, when he was going to the cross and for the joy that was set before him. It was because of a, a, a thing that he was gonna do that was gonna save many people. All heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to faith when one sinner repents. This is the kind of joy that God is speaking of. What can we learn from this? We can learn so much that we should be rejoicing, yes, in the birthday parties and the weddings, but perhaps even more so in the extension of the kingdom as we are in partnership with God to see people come from the same place out of darkness into life. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven and everything that we do between now and then is for his glory and that's where we are headed. Here's a picture of what that looks like today. This was the 2015 Rugby World Cup. Um, South Africa had lost and Japan, shock, had beaten them. And this is a, these are Japanese and South African supporters celebrating together. Do you know what? Do you know how long it took me to find a photograph of two sets of supporters <laughs> celebrating together? Why? Because it doesn't happen very often. And Paul is saying, I want this to be commonplace in the church. Even if it's not your team, you can rejoice with them in their rejoicing. It's one thing to rejoice when you're on the same team. It's another to rejoice when you're on different teams. When you desperately wanted what they have got, can you rejoice? When someone gives you a wedding invitation and you are still single, when someone brings an incredible prophetic gift and you've been asking God for the prophetic for years and years, when someone gets a promotion at work 
and you're just so tired in your own job and you asking God for different and for more, can we rejoice together? It is a supernatural work of grace by the Holy Spirit to deal with our envy and to put aside resentment so we together can rejoice and enjoy in their blessing. We need this supernatural transformation, don't we? This isn't just about managing our faces where we kind of pretend to put an arm around someone, but inside we're actually saying, I'm so glad that this isn't me in their brokenness. That we can truly rejoice without wishing that it was us. Lord, would you work in us? I pray so that we might become this community. You know, as I finish, I just want to say, Jesus identifies with us in both of these places. You know, outside of him, there is only weeping. Outside of Jesus, there is only sorrow and death and disappointment. Inside of Jesus, there are pleasures forevermore at his right hand. There is the fullness of joy in his presence. Inside of Jesus, when he is in us and we are in him, we can rejoice like no other people on earth because he has saved us from our sins. He, paid the, he put the ultimate arm around us, if you like, on the cross where he dealt with our pain and our weeping and our madness and our sin. And he brought us in, as Ella was saying, into true freedom in him for the rest of our days. If you haven't experienced the sheer joy of knowing Jesus today, at home or in the room, then I want to encourage you as we sing in a moment to really go into him. Give yourself to him. Repent of your sin. You can be brought out of your mourning into gladness from a spirit of despair to a spirit of joy in him for what he has done. You know, it was up on the sign earlier, empathy, and this, this is what this is. Practically, this is empathy. What is empathy? It's a superpower. <laughs> it's a supernatural thing that God enables us to do, to put ourselves in each other's places so that we can mourn and weep and rejoice and sing with them. Three, three quick things as the band prepare to help us to do this. First, let's listen. Let's not be so tied up in our own stuff that we miss the hints, the body language of those that are struggling. Keep an ear out too for those that are rejoicing and rejoice with them. Number two, feel. Have you become numb? Are you numb to others' emotions? 
and pains. I believe God wants to reawaken us by the power of the Spirit. He wants to give us hypersensitivity to those around us. And then thirdly, never meant to stay with listening and feeling. It was meant to be put into action. Work it out with one another as God leads you to do so. Should we stand? just want to say simply Holy Spirit would you come (laughs) would you come amongst us amongst this incredible body scattered though it is at the moment Lord help us to listen help us to feel help us to live this out as Paul instructed us thank you Jesus